Welcome to those who are listening and watching. Uh, I am Carlos Garduño and sitting next to me in a new room where you probably can hear some traffic passing by. Um, it's Dan Newberg, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church Divine. This is Disciple Life, the Bible and Everyday Life. So today we're not recording on a Monday. So our memories might be a little foggy. I see you have your, your talking points on the iPad, and that helps. But it's, it's just the Bible. Well, those are talking points. Okay. That, that's the talking point. Okay. Fair so um, I do want to just kind of go back. And so we finished one full series so far this year. Mm-hmm. And now we've started a new series. Yep. So, and that's Feeding the Fire. Yep. So we've we've gone from reigniting to now feeding. Yep. What is the reasoning there? What's going on? Because we're, we're there's a message to preach every Sunday. We're, sure. I, and I'm I'm with you. I, I'm just trying to 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 see how how do we go from reigniting to firing? Why is it important? Oh, why to is it, feed the fire? Why is it okay? Well, so. This theme of fire is inviting us to think about what our passions are um, and um, calling us to to question if our passions are in alignment with um, where they should be if we are legitimately and genuinely disciples of Christ. Um, and so the the intention behind reigniting the fire was... Um, while certainly speaking to anyone in any stage in any walk of life um, with mindfulness that at times we grow into states of indifference um, and uh, even times where we would uh, consider ourselves or describe ourselves to be spiritually dry or cold. Um, And so as we're presented uh, the the prophecy of Christ, the birth of Christ and the miraculous nature and events that surround his birth. Um, it was with the hope that in seeing what Luke uh, narrates for us, that we would um, that we would arrive at a place where we are stirred, where we have been stirred by the Spirit of God to reignite that passion for the one who has saved us, or who we claim has saved us. Um, and so, following that. Um, when if you've ever um, built a fire like at a campsite, um, once you get a fire lit, you've got to feed it if you want it to keep going. Um, and so, uh, the the bridge point from reigniting to feeding the fire comes with a, a an account that Luke gives us at the end of the second chapter of Luke, um, where Christ Himself is feeding, if you will or drawing nourishment um, as he studies about his Father who's in heaven and interacts with the, the teachers of God's Word uh, in his day. And so it's, a, it's an invitation for us to, um, to follow in that example where we um, are, are enveloped and overwhelmed by the Word of God. Hmm. I like that. Uh, you said once you light a fire, we have you have to keep feeding it, or else it goes out. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. It just makes me think of. It also depends how you stack the logs that will help the fire either oh, sure. go out quicker or sustain a, a hearty um, flame. 
Right. Um, and, and, and in my mind, the correlation to that is our, the way we, we do theology. Sure. And the way we kind of understand who God the Father is, who God the Son is, the Holy Spirit, etc. Yep. Won't go too much into that. So uh, I do thank you for that, for explaining that to me and to the audience, just so everyone knows where we're kind of headed. I have three questions that are, that are not mine, so I'm, I'm going to start with those. And so, again, for the audience, we were in the end of chapter 2 of Luke, right? And so Jesus is in the temple talking to these the teachers. These aren't your questions? These are not mine. Do I get to toss them out if I don't like the source that they came from? Uh, uh, I don't need to know who uh, you don't need to, I think the handwriting is self-evident. But the toss first... It's okay, we won't let her know. Um, the first question is, what does it mean for Christ to be Lord of your life? What does it mean and how does this look in practice? So, I think, um, not I think, where I, where I believe we may begin to struggle with this idea of Lord, Lordship. Um, man, the, an approach that we might take as... Um, as folks who I presume are listening in the United States or are listening in democratic nations um, that are particularly maybe of a Western philosophy, right. is we are highly and excessively individualistic. Mm -hmm. um, and we, in our organization of government, in our um, philosophical outlook, um, we promote a sense of our voice carries weight and we, um, we ourselves have a final say on what, uh, who we are really is if you work that out to a logical conclusion, we have a final say individually right. on, on who we are, what we do and every aspect of our lives. Um, and I mean, so, it's even sketched into the United States Constitution, not, uh, not, maybe not the Constitution, but the it is Declaration, of, Declaration Independence. of Independence, where it says that we have uh, life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Yep. So, so this question of what does it mean for Christ to be Lord, I think, I think that is a, a pertinent question for, um, for listeners today, because because we approach life with a, with some assumption that we're lords unto ourselves. Mm. Um, and in the course of the, the way things have been structured, um, we don't understand what it means to serve or be ruled by a sovereign, by a king or a queen, right? That's, that's an antiquated form of, of, of government, of administration for nations. Um, Yet, that is the um, hierarchy, if you like, or the structure of the kingdom of God, where, right. uh, where Christ is king, he is rule, ruler, he is sovereign. Um, and where, maybe where I just leapt over, if someone was wanting to do um, some dictionary vocabulary studies is, uh, and philosophical studies, um, religious philosophical studies is to explore the difference between subjective and objective truths. You're right. Um, and and where where I'm starting from is the notion that reigns today that everything is subjective. It's what I 
You know, it starts with me as the subject, not an objective truth that exists out there, right? Beyond that, that's, that's universal beyond us. Yeah. Um, so I'm launching from there without saying that. And so I just want to call back to, that's where I'm starting from if someone wants to go spend some time to, to understand where I'm coming from. Um, but what it means for Christ to be Lord is that He objectively is King. Right. He is ruler, creator, and ruler of the universe. Right. In fact, where we're going next week, we'll begin to um, to highlight this. Um, but more on that. But this Sunday. Yeah. Tune in Sunday. Um, <laughs> and the the what it means then is that he is he is the one who, in his ruling over us, doesn't approach his rule. Uh, maybe at times where we read of these really vile kings in history, okay. uh, right? Who you know, you have Henry the Eighth who beheads his wife, you know, kind of thing. That's and, the, and that's tame in comparison to the greatest king that ever lived, Genghis Khan. Yeah. In in history, like he mur he murdered uh, like the equivalent of small nations. Yeah. Um, and then I believe there's there's. Uh, well, Hitler was jealous of him. Yeah, he was. I mean, I, I, yeah. The, I mean, there's 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 accounts of that if you read about it. So the the point is when I when I when I bring up this word of Lord or King, which are interchangeable, right? right. Um, the, it's not to bring with it the negative sentiments or the negative um, uh, examples that we draw from history of any human king right. it's yeah um and so it's we have a a king who has created all things who holds all things together who rules perfectly and he does so out of his love for all of his creation um and yes he issues decrees if you like or he lays down laws or what we might otherwise call commands um, he's given us commands as Christians, right? That we are to love the Lord our God, um, that we are to to go unto all nations and baptize them uh, in the name of the Father and Son, and the Holy Spirit, make disciples. Um, we we have these commands that have been given to us. So it's not like he's a king that does not rule with direction to his right. people. Um, yet, what it means for him to be Lord, very practically, is mean is, is to mean that we have acknowledged him for who he is and his rule. Um, and more than acknowledge, surrender, submit yourself. It was common for those who were subject to sovereigns, to kings in history, to go before the king. And I, I mean, and I, I wouldn't discourage this, I guess, if, if Jesus were in this room, um, the physically, the the idea is you go before the sovereign, you you'd you'd kiss their hand and pledge your fidelity to them, right? Your unwavering faithfulness in service to them. That's what that idea of surrender is. You're you're going to unwaveringly serve Christ with all your life. Um, you're going to submit to His rule. Um, his rule that's given to us in the Word of God, you submit to it, um, and that becomes your your obedience to His Word, to His decree, to His direction, is an expression of His Lordship over your life. Which, by the way, it's attested in the book of Psalms, Kiss the Son, lest you perish in the way. Yeah. To talk about the, the sovereignty of the one that God would send. Yep. So, again, Jesus. That's that's a wonderful answer, and that, that gets us to the 12-minute mark. You're doing great today. Sweet. All right. Let's go to question number two. 
What does it truly mean to live your life for Christ and for the kingdom? And how does this compare against American Christianity? Boy, that's, that's a grenade. <laughs> American Christianity. Um, so let me start with a, a concept that, um, that I know I was raised in, right? And sure. This was the, the concept of the American dream. So raised in a home... And for those who are listening, um, if you don't know this about me, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't come to faith until I was 18. And so my upbringing, um, it, I mean, it's not from the, from the world's standards of good versus bad people. I was raised in a good home. Right, um, the decent folks, decent salt of folks, the earth type of thing. Yeah, I mean, no, no one was committing crimes. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, and so you know the the parental direction that I received was always with the outlook of um, you can be anything you want, you can you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, you can have. Uh, or possess nearly anything. You can go to the ends of the earth. You just got to set your mind to it, um, and you got to work for it. And so that that you know, I was raised in in an expression of the idea of the American dream. Pulling right? yourself up by your bootstraps. Sure, almost. sure. Um, and so you know. Uh, always greatly encouraged to pursue education. My parents um, had some college, uh, never completed bachelor's work. Um, they saw education as a pathway or a gateway to, uh, to um, upward mobility uh, and to uh, obtaining success. Um, and so I launched in life, if you will, um, looking for that um, and, and defining my, um, my success by my annual salary, um, the age of vehicle I drove, um, and setting goals for spouse and number of children and uh, square footage in my home and acres that were under my domain. Um, and that's maybe American Dream uh, expressed in South Texas. Down, I was about know? to say, yeah. Um, but, but I think the salary has a, a great portion of that. I think also our reputation, the way people perceive us, and what we put out that people perceive. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, alluding to the question, is the idea of having a um, having the right type of faith that makes things happen, like a shake and bake, if you will. Sure. So, American dream. Um, so the question says something about how does that compare against American Christianity? So a synthesis of American dream and Christianity is you can, you can live this American dream. You can, you can have what you want. You can possess all that you might desire and add Jesus to that. And it's a perfect combination, right? Um, it's it's a, a watered-down version of the gospel. And I don't, what I will say and where I'll start with this is um, I do not want to be heard as potentially invalidating um, someone's salvation who might be subject to this because it, it, it um, and what I mean by that is there's the essence that 
someone has come to an understanding that they have a sin issue, mm-hmm. that, that Jesus has uh, made a way to resolve that sin issue through the cross, and they, they believe Christ to be a perfect substitute, having lived a perfect life, was resurrected, and just on the basic tenets of the faith, um, they, they've, they've got that like down, right? Um, where they, they understand that Christ is Savior. The problem is he's not Lord. Um, he's not Savior and, it, and, and Lord. you need both simultaneously. To, to live this life, yes. Um, and so the, they, he's Savior so that he has been sprinkled into this American dream. Um, so as far as folks might be concerned in an American expression of Christianity is they've got their present covered because they make six figures, um, can maintain their 2,500-square-foot home and have two or three vehicles in the garage, and they have their eternity squared away because they've purchased the right type of fire insurance um, by walking an aisle and praying a prayer. Um, so that's that's maybe just a really quick way to try to describe this idea of American Christianity. It's American dream plus Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what was the first part of the question? So what does it really mean to, to live your life for Christ and the kingdom? To live and, your, and then, so what does it mean to live for Christ? And then um, how does that compare to Christianity in the American version of Christianity? Yeah, um, may, so... The, the, the launching or the starting point of the American dream is to express that um, using this word passion or fire again, um, you know, the fulfillment of the American dream in one's life becomes a, a form of fashion or a passion, right? Sure. Um, and where I would come back to in balancing this back towards what does it mean to truly live for Christ in the kingdom is... If we're truly living for Christ in the kingdom, he and his kingdom are our passion, not the upward mobility within uh, within the American dream or Western society, moving between upper or lower and middle and upper classes, if you will. Um, it's finding contentment and fulfillment in him no matter where you are in life and um, and go and going and serving wherever it is that he's called you to, and not worrying about these these material things that we seem to be so focused on. Right. Um, you know, I know many folks that who who seek to to live and and die to self in such a way that you know. They, they'll, they'll do something like if their mortgage payment is $1,000 a month, as far as they're concerned, Christ has them in you know some suburb in whatever state in the United States, and he's not calling them someplace else. But their, their commitment to kingdom work is um, serving in their local church and um, doing things in a certain way, but they're also wanting to or feeling led of the Spirit uh, to express their commitment uh, in in a manner that they're giving uh, they're giving 
of financial resources that exceeds their greatest expense, right? So hmm. if, they're, if their mortgage payment is $1,000 a month, they're giving 1100 to their church or something like that. Um, and so the point there is that, uh, as an example, is um, they are seeking to, to live a life where, um, as an expression of where they spend their time uh, and where they commit their resources, their kingdom first, um, and the rest of these details, they leave for Christ to sort out for them, because He tells us in in the Sermon on the Mount to to not worry about tomorrow and not to worry about any of these things. Lodging, we, food, yeah. clothing, um, and so it's it's this this passion or their their prioritization, um, and so that's that's how maybe I, I've read of some people trying to express and work this out within their lives, and I think that's maybe a healthy way to try to begin to, to, to explore that. But beyond that, that also means when you come to Christ and you pledge your fidelity to Him, you're, you're approaching Him almost um, like someone who's approaching a, a negotiation table with a contract there. And the issue for, for you and I, if, if we think it's an issue, um, is the details of the contract are not worked out. They're in, fact, in fact, it's a blank sheet of paper with a signature line where you're committing yourself by that signature to however the king is to fill in those details. Right. So it, that's an expression of your passion and your heart and your love and your affinity for the one who has saved you and saying, I will go and do whatever you'd have me to do. Um, so it's living sacrificially and it's living as if you have died to yourself, not seeking to fulfill or satisfy yourself with temporary things, um, but finding yourself wrapped up in Him. Right. Uh, and I can definitely see that, for example, yesterday, uh, not yesterday, but Sunday you talked about focus. And you even made the point of how Mary in the text addresses the question, why have you done this to us? It's almost like hearing a mom saying, we were worried sick for you. How sure. come you did this to cause us pain and anguish? And Jesus simply says, didn't you know that I was meant to be in my father's house? Like so basically saying, I'm doing what I am meant to be doing. Right. And so... It, I would, I guess, the simple, the simplest summary of this well thought out response you gave to the uh, the question would be: American Christianity can be very selfish, very self centered, focused, but cri biblical Christianity is Christ centered and biblically yeah, focused. So, yeah, maybe you just summed it up like in, in five words. If but if, it's if, important if, for people to flesh out how yeah. that look, what that looks like. If, if it, so maybe in answering it this way, if, it, if, if our answer about um, how we live out our faith starts with I or me, we've missed it. And, and again, we have a great quote by Alistair Begg, but I will not butcher it again. So I think that's, that's wonderful. Look at there. Let's, almost to 24. We're doing good. All right. Next question. Uh, you spoke about uh, prioritizing our... Relationship. relationship with God Man, and you, you focusing poked in, you poked and, at the handwriting you can't and even read focusing it. on Jesus this was not me so um, I'm, I know it's not you what are some things within our local church and the big capital C church 
that cause us to lose sight of Jesus. So things within the church? Local and the big church. So what what are some of the fatted calves, the golden idols that get in the way? In the way of our relationship with God. I, I'm not I'm not an anti exclusively anti tradition guy, but I do think traditions get in our way a whole lot. And, and I think our audience should note that when we say that we we do, we are working in a Baptist church. Tradition yeah. is a very heavy thing here, not not like our neighbors across the street who happen to be Roman Catholic, uh, or even the other neighbors across the other street that happen to be United Me- Methodist. Um, but by tradition, we mean is those things that tend to get in the way because Granny did it 50 years ago, and suddenly it's gospel truth. It's like. The Apostle Paul was there when she did it, and therefore it has been certified good. That's what we mean by negative traditions. Right. So why don't you talk, you, you can start and we can take this wherever, you, wherever it goes. What gets in the way of our relationship with God in the local church and the universal church as far as traditions and things like that? Well, traditions. Okay. <laughs> so what are some of those things? I think, I think the questioner wants to know, what are some of those big hurdles in both settings? You're wanting me to hammer, hammer on some particular traditions? I, I think we can have fun with this question. Oh, man. Until, and, well, um, if, you, if you have any, any, uh, any criticism of this podcast, you can direct all the mail to carlos at fbcdivine.org. <laughs> Um, so traditions, um, you know, Paul, Paul writes in, at the end of, uh, first Corinthians 15, that, um, in, in, at the end of the, the, this great chapter on the resurrection, um, he's, he's calling Christians to be aware that we're waiting yet for the res, that, that great and final resurrection, um, and to continue to be faithful and know and know um, that all that we do is not without vain when it's for our Lord. Um, and so he's telling he, he tells the Corinthians then, and he speaks to us now to be immovable and steadfast. Hmm. Um, and where, what he's talking about there is to be immovable and steadfast in our faith. Um, yet I think in our church and church not. Not just this well, church, it's, it's both. In, in, in local churches and the, the big C church. I think sometimes we apply that immovable and steadfast to the way we do things. Right. Um, not, like not, an order of worship of the, yeah. or the type of music we play, yeah, whether we have instruments or not. Yeah. So, um, what, what, you know, so you talk about some of the struggles that, that we might have. Um, you know, for a long time in, in this church, um, worship was led um, by the accompaniment of a piano and organ. And something that we've seen in the last four years is that there is an array of talented musicians that God has planted in this place um, that he's called to help us uh, through forms of accompaniment. Um, and just by the sheer introduction of those uh, those various forms of instrumentation, um, you know, questions have around, have arisen around the propriety of that right. because it, it comes against tradition. Right. Um, we can 
we can go do a Bible study in Psalms where David is enumerating the various forms of instrumentation um, from thousands of years ago that were used to, to worship God. Worship God with uh, a lyre, with a harp, and uh, with a timbrel. And so, and so, but yet tradition gets in our way of keeping Christ central uh, in that regard. Right. Um, when we which, which is almost bringing us back full circle to the whole where is your focus. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, where is your focus? Um we can talk about when we stand up or when we sit down. Um, what's the right order they're in? You know, do, do we sing first or pray first? The, the, or do those, we preach first? Or we preach first, yeah. you know. What, what, would happen, um, what would happen if we started a worship service by saying, Welcome, good morning, we're so glad you're here. Open your Bible to wherever. And then the last half of the service, or whatever, however we break or delineate the, the time we spend together, is singing in response to the message. Would that be a, a inappropriate expression of worship? As long as you preach out of the Bible, we're okay. It, <laughs> I mean, I'm but, just telling but, you. But it, but it would be it would be anti-tradition, right? It would it would rock some people's boats big yeah. time. Um, so. And so then, then you've got to ask, in things like that, where's your focus? Right. I mean, have you come to worship the living God? Have you come uh, as an expression of your own sacrifice and offering to Him, offering yourself to Him uh, in, in the course of worship? Or have you come to worship worship? Right. And and I think one of to to, to this question uh, for the big the 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 universal church, um, what I think some of the things that can get in the way is conflict, unnecessary conflict, um, but also the fact that sometimes unnecessary conflict breaks out when people do not focus on that which is clearly stated in Scripture, not not what I may think, but what it's clearly there. So, for example, when we get into matters of um, how do we deal? How do why why do we work together between denominations? Why do we work together between different groups? And how do we discern which groups we can work with? I think those are those are healthy points of contention. Not in the sense that we that I'm saying it's okay for the church to be divided, but it's to quote uh, to state a quote by. Uh, John MacArthur, Arsis Prol, Alistair Begg, you make the main things the main things, and the main things are the plain things, right? And so, another quote, and that's mainly Alistair Begg, another quote, uh, it's by Arsis Prol in a, in a Q&A panel, he says, there are errors. Errors are things where we may vary on ways that we see things. For example, we at this church are credo Baptist. We believe adults who confess or even children of an age where they understand that they need a savior, that, that they have sinned, and therefore if they do not confess Christ, their eternal reward is to go to hell. Versus we do not believe that uh, baptism to a baby will impart some sort of grace or mercy um, in in, lieu of, in view of a promise. We don't believe that. That that's a point that 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 could be seen as an error in some of our friends all throughout town or throughout the world, Presbyterians, Anglicans, etc. But when you where you get into the heresy of it all, where you have errors that cut to the deep and the core of the gospel message, for example. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, where Jesus Christ was not born as full human, where Jesus Christ is not um, 
did not resurrect but appeared to have resurrected, um, where we attack the core foundations of the gospel, those are points, those are hills to die on. Sure. And I think those are things that are not just the traditions of men as so many, even in Southern Baptist culture, have, have come against uh, or on plain, plain teaching of the scriptures, which we can get into that hot topic later. Um, I think that that's important. Mm -hmm. But if we focus, again, coming back to, to the main point of the message, if our focus is Christ, I think, then everything sorts itself out. But if the focus is ourselves, then we can make a big mess. Yep. To the person who gave us these questions, we won't show the, the handwriting. Thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, we also want to encourage the audience, whether you're listening or watching online, um, please submit your questions. There's a link where you can submit those. If you join us Sunday morning or Wednesday, there's a, a slide with a QR code that you can snap with your phone and you can ask questions. Um, Pastor Dan, myself, and we'll do our best to answer them. And in the next uh, future episodes, coming up with probably within this month, we'll start answering questions from the youth group from a year ago so cool. that we can have those and we can encourage also the youth group to submit those. Cool. And remember, if you have comments or feedback about anything that was said, <laughs> you email those to carlos at fbcdivine.org. Se habla español. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This is Disciple Life, the Bible, the, an everyday life. I am Carlos Garduño, and this is me, Pastor Dan Newberg.